guys, if you checked your shooting line, lubed up your suit, spat in your mask, put on your headphones, ready for another episode of the No Story Podcast, I hope you have. Welcome aboard. My name is Isaac, aka Shrek. I am the host of the No Story Podcast. It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. We froth on this lifestyle of spearfishing. Today's episode is very much in line with that. It's about spot burning. Now, I had an email a while ago from Curly in WA. He said, just writing and becoming a patron because I appreciated the froth that you've given me, not that I need it anymore, and also the content and time you've given back to this amazing community. I hope it's starting to make it worthwhile financially for you as well. I've been diving up and down the coast of WA for about, Western Australia for about 12 years, mostly around Margaret River, where I live and I've been spoiled as you can imagine. I've also been entrenched in the surfing community, which I'm starting to fall out of love with due to the effect of increased crowds, massive egos, and the short-sightedness of people blowing up every spot uh, to try and gain their little spot in the limelight. Your podcast and the people that you interview are a breath of fresh air, and it's good to see that 80% of divers are so down-to-earth and willing to share their information without giving up the mystery of it all. Now, giving up the mystery of it all, definitely. Like, spot burning is about giving up spots, basically. Inadvertently, sometimes, but often just without any awareness of, of doing so. Now, you don't give away spots with the fact, with the, with the intention of 100 people going to your spot tomorrow to go and dive it, but that's sometimes the reality of it with social media. It's communicating with what you think are a handful of individuals when really it's going out to thousands of people and it will definitely draw more pressure to the spot that gets identified on social media. Today I'm joined by two legends from Fin and Forage. It's Charlie Robinson and Andrew Miller who wrote or are a part of a community, the finandforage.com community, that have written a cracker article about this, and this is a a large part of the inspiration for this episode. It's, It's called The Science of Spot Burning. It'll be linked up in today's show notes, so hang around and I'll share a link during the episode about where you can come and find out and read a bit more about it. But uh, Charlie and Andrew are both passionate about this topic and we talk about some of the, the pitfalls of social media and particularly how you can avoid spot burning. We talk about the ethics of it and we just have a good, robust, long-form conversation, which is what podcasts are all about. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get there, a couple of quick reviews. Someone left a review, well, two people have left reviews now on podchaser.com, which is a fantastic place to leave a review for the podcast if you listen on a platform such as Spotify where they don't actually have a place where you can leave reviews for the show and I know a lot of people are listening these days on Spotify wherever you listen to the show if you write reviews it generally helps people like you to find the show and I, I'm always grateful for it Team Elon Gardas he wrote a review or they wrote a review saying I created this account just to rate Noob Spiro hands down my favourite podcast everything I've learned from the Noob Spiro has brought me up over the years from the day I started spearing and I have haven't stopped listening and learning. I know I can account for fish because of this podcast. Many thanks to Shrek and Turbo. Keep it up and keep the stoke. Um, also, Nooba Stories. If you go to noobspirit.com, there is a place there where you can leave me a voice message to possibly include on the podcast. I love scary stories, uh, lessons learned, gear reviews, anything you like. Find it, noobspirit.com. Leave me a voice message to include in the show. None this week. But uh, last but not least, before we head into this interview, another review. Awesome podcast. As a new spear fisherman, this has been great. Lots of fun interviews and lots of great tips. That's from Mark via Apple Podcasts in the USA. Hey, let's get into a spot burning with Andrew and Charlie. I had a ball with this one. Another great big ethical shit fight. Uh, I've been on my soapbox on social media recently about this, um, but this is where I enjoy the longer form stuff on podcasts, get to have it out, have a really good robust discussion. Anyway, I don't want to carry on too long. Let's get into it. Andrew and Charlie, spot back. 
Today's Veterans Vault is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno. Adreno.com.au is a huge range of equipment, from the latest in spear gun technology to the odds and ends that you need, like bungees, booties, and budgie smugglers. Go online to Adreno.com.au to read good, honest reviews and to take advantage of Australia-wide flat rate shipping and a no-hassles returns policy. Don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code and save $20 on every purchase over $200. Adreno.com.au Recently, I brought some new equipment online at today's show sponsor, Naptonics.com, and I was super impressed by the quality of the packaging and the before and after sales support. These guys don't muck around. They make awesome, tough, dependable equipment, and their service matches the quality of the equipment they sell. Visit Naptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on anything and everything store-wide. If you're shopping in the USA and you spend more than $99, you get free shipping at Naptonics.com. 99 Spare Recipes, guys, I forgot to tell you in the intro, we are heading towards the back end of the submission time. August 30, submissions closed, 99 Spare Recipes. It's crowdsourced recipes from the spearfishing community, actionable meals for the everyday diver. This thing is absolutely pumping, humming along. I've got a couple of the latest submissions, octopus dumplings, coastal or kunamoyaki, lobster cocktails, lobster tagliatelle with champagne and vanilla cream, garlic butter pasta in a hurry. There's a whole bunch of wicked recipes being submitted from the spearfishing community. Get in at 99 Spirit Recipes. Submit your recipe at noobspirit.com forward slash submit recipe. Noobspirit.com forward slash submit recipe. Remember, deadline closes August 30. Get your recipe in there. Boom! G'day, welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast today. I'm joined by Charlie and Andrew. Charlie has a extensive background in the fly fishing industry. Um, he's also one of the passionate team members at Fin and Forage, uh, which is a p- project, uh, well, it's more than a project. It's a, I don't even know what the hell it is. Well, it's Fin and Forage. Uh, Charlie, before I introduce Andrew. Uh, yeah, Fin and Forage, uh, you know, it's a community-based group and we're really focused on education, entertainment. Uh, you know, basically we're trying to promote a sustainable um, collection of our resources and protection um, in, you know, in uh, the act of foraging, whether it be diving or uh, uh, foraging in, in the forest for mushrooms or, or whatever, you know. Check it out. There's heaps of cool stuff there, finandforage.com. Um, Andrew's also uh, a member at Fin and Forage. He's, uh, uh, he says he's boring, but it's very much up today's conversations, Elliot. He's an environmental uh, lawyer and obviously with some of the issues happening there on the East Coast at the moment, an interesting guy to chat with at the moment. So welcome aboard, Jamie. Uh, sorry, Charlie, your name on the Zoom call is distracting me there, uh, Charlie and Andrew. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's my girlfriend's uh, account. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome aboard, Jamie, as well. <laughs> so um, this article that was published on Fin and Forage sort of um, spawned this conversation idea that I had. And obviously, this is a conversation that gets had in spearfishing circles on social media quite a lot. Um, but spot burning, uh, it's a contentious issue. Like it's something that I think every Spiro that's been going a little while should have a, an opinion about it and their own sort of code of ethics. So I wanted to have the conversation. But um, maybe I could ask you, Charlie, to explain what spot burning is. Sure. Yeah. Um, so spot burning in my mind, uh, would be calling unnecessary attention to a general area, um, that people like to dive or fish, whether it be posting photos on social media, you know, fish, it might be innocent, like 
like uh, putting up fish pictures um, that have a background that you can sort of uh, tell the landscape or where, where that area is. Uh, or it, it might be a little more obvious, like talking in a Facebook group or on an internet forum about the name and location or even leaving GPS coordinates or something like that. And, and essentially, you're, you're driving traffic to that area um, and uh, quote unquote burning the spot. Yes, I think some people don't seem to have a conscience about it because they they perceive the ocean as belonging to everyone. And, I mean, it, it is very much that way and that's part of the joy of it. We're all going out there and trying to get a feed for our friends and family. I guess the problem is is that where you've spent an extensive amount of time and energy and years of experience going over an area and going to all the crap spots to find that one spot with, the, you know, like a really good pressure point or something like that. That's where the action is within, you know, a couple of kilometres. That's that's the spot, you know. It's taken you a long time to find it. All of a sudden it gets blown up. There's 100 people on your spot and it's no longer your spot anymore because it's just, it's been over, it's been overdone by, by, by the fishing community. <laughs> so um what why do you think and, and maybe Andrew maybe you could an- answer this why do you think some guys have a a strong sense of responsibility about not burning other people's spots and other people don't yeah that, that's a great question I think I don't know maybe, maybe Charlie feels differently about this but for me at least I find I I feel very differently if I feel like it's my spot versus a spot someone else has shown me you know if one of my dive buddies just put in the time, to find the special spot. He doesn't take anybody there. He takes me there early on a Saturday morning before anyone else is out. Like that's a gift he's given to me. You know, that's not the same way your friend tells you a secret. That's not your secret to share with anyone else. Um, If I put in the time to find a spot, most of the time I'm more than comfortable sharing that with people. Um, Most of the time I'm more than comfortable sharing that with people. I will say, I think, Kind of the underlying idea behind why spot burning is bad, um, particularly around where we are here in central and northern California, is a lot of our fish, you know, they're demersal, they hang out on the bottom. They're really tied to that bottom structure, and most of them don't move all that much. So it doesn't take that much pressure to really go in and kind of clean out a reef. So I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought. I was going to say, do you think that Spiros are, put it this way, how much spearfishing does a person have to do in order to become aware of how much impact just spearfishing can have on particularly um, demersal reef species, which are tradition, you know, like slow growing? Um, it takes quite a while for them to get to that period where they even become able to reproduce. Um, and we're potentially, you know, you, you can have. How long do you think someone has to be spearfishing until they start to realize how much impact we can have? That's kind of what I'm asking. Yeah, I think quite a while. Um, I still talk with spear fishermen who have been diving for decades who don't seem to have a great grasp of that. Um, and part of it, I think here, you know, we obviously have a huge network of marine protected areas up and down the California coast. If you make an effort to go dive in the protected areas, you see a very stark difference. Um, even, you know, 20 or 30 yards down the reef, if you cross that boundary, it makes a huge difference. And I think but taking the time to dive and predict areas like that really helps put in perspective just how much things can change. Even though geographically it seems like all one, you know, contiguous area, that, that impact is real and it makes a difference. And I think uh, to 
I don't know if it's actually this way or if it just feels this way because of where I am in my spearfishing career, but it feels like these last 10 years, spearfishing's really blown up as a sport here. Yeah. Now, not that I was in it from the beginning, but even in the 10 years I've been doing it, I've noticed a shift in how our local reefs work and look. And Yeah, it's it's on all of us to take a, a greater and have a greater sense of responsibility towards uh, managing the resource. And uh, I think every Spiro holds those values dear. They, you know, we all... We all want to think of ourselves as safe, selective, and 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 you know promoting sustainable fishing. And I think for the most part we do, but there are some certain species, particularly in local you know geographical contexts, that are particularly vulnerable to spearfishing as a unique pressure on the fishery. So not only are we talking about just protecting our own spots for the sake of having a resource for years to come, but also more broadly uh, about thinking sustainably in general. Just to jump in real quick, that's a really good point that like, you know, as a, as an environmentally conscious spearfisher person, like it's really easy to say, all right, like I have this set of reefs that I go to all the time, you know, and I'm not going to go hammer this reef every single day that I dive. It's a lot harder. I, I think part of the problem that Spot Vernon introduces is, you know, you show this picture of one area, right? And so the people who are going to be attracted to your spots aren't going to go hit all the different reefs that you hit and spread out that impact over a wider range of areas. It's all going to be kind of funneled to one place. The temptation, like let, let's let's particularly, um, I'd like to approach this from, I think there's some unique issues here because I think from my observations, learner spearfishing people that are in their first sort of maybe one or two years, they have a different. Um, they they cause different issues than people that are older and 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 uh, more experienced. They they have we have a different set of issues with new people. I see the same question posed online. Well, where where should I go spearfishing in this area here? Um, they're asking that question innocently, but it's on a forum of let's say it's a thousand people that love spearfishing. That spot then gets named in a in a in a Facebook thread or whatever the hell medium we're talking about. All of a sudden, five hundred people have now seen that spot. And as although it seems innocent, and the spot that's been named is fairly common knowledge, it's funny how much influence that has on the the fishing pressure that that area then has to face for the next you know several months until that post is faded out of the social media you know, whatever, atmosphere, you know, like the environment or whatever. You, have you guys seen that play out a few times as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it seems like quite innocent. Like I don't think people are doing it intentionally. It's just ignorance. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the big issues with that as well is that if it's um, – I'm not going to say allowed because, uh, you know, I think, I think one of the great things about the internet is we're free to, you know, have whatever discourse that we want. But um, if that continues to play out in the same way, uh, people forget that they should be keeping a little more quiet uh, about these places. And then they start to do it all the time. And it, where it might start with, um, you know, spot A that everybody already goes to, you know, everybody, everybody who has held a spear gun knows that spot already. So it's okay, right, to tell some people about that. Uh, it might start with that, but eventually people start to talk about other spots in, in places that aren't maybe so popular and aren't maybe so exposed and are a lot more sensitive too. Uh, and and you you get onto this slippery slope where where now you're you're just kind of giving away everything, you know. <laughs> 
And I think that's part of where experience comes in too. You know, like you spend enough time diving in town, right? And the spot you're diving always has people there, right? And it shows up in all the scuba guides and you go down to the dive shop, you say, where do I go? And they say, go to this beach, right? And obviously you can share that beach. And then you go drive down 30 minutes into Big Sur and the day that you're out there, it's chock full of divers. And so it feels the same if you're not kind of keyed into the community and like, have a strong sense of what spots get pressure and what which ones don't. Yeah, spreading uh, fishing pressures is, is, a, is a massive part of, I think, doing spearfishing sustainably. Uh, I, I guess the, the we, we briefly touched on this before the episode, but this uh, the, the 30-30 agenda, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys as spearfishing people are, are not a fan of this because um, for me, shutting down areas like they tried to do it down here in the southern east coast part of australia they tried to shut down they said oh we're only going to shut down and protect 10 percent of the areas but it was in fact about 90 percent of the um practical available decently shallow spots for learning spearfishing people and you know all of a sudden all of the fishing pressure is then going to be applied to the few areas that remain which and then, of course, you're going to get more of a contrast between protected areas and non-protected areas. Like, because I, I think about spearfishing sustainably, it's spreading our efforts. It's not going to the same spots over and over and over again. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I, it's more compl- complex and nuanced. Feel a, little, <laughs> a little more okay. complex, yeah. I think um, generally, so broad strokes, 30 by 30, I think it's a great idea. Um I think the science is there, the place-based management works. You know, when history has shown us if you manage on a species by species level, it just doesn't have the effect because nature's complex and you can't like pin down all the moving parts of an ecosystem with a bag limit or a slot limit. It just doesn't work. Um, So I think the concept of place-based management with marine protected areas, like the evidence is there. Um, And I, I should look this up. There was a study that was done recently. It's like the first long-term study of marine protected areas globally that showed really significant benefits both within and without outside of reserve areas um, when an MPA network's constructed well and planned well. I think where a lot of the hesitation comes in um, from within the spearfishing community, especially here in California, is that you know, the, the spearfishing community, the recreational fishing community didn't really have a voice in that process, right? We were, we were left out of the picture and it left a lot of people feeling like they were left high and dry. Like all of a sudden, all of our good fishing spots are getting closed because the only, the only groups with kind of institutionalized voices in this supposedly public process are the kind of earthy, crunchy, no-take sorts of organizations or the commercial fishing interests, and there's not really a place for us at the table. So, yeah, I, I think the 30 by 30 concept is a great idea as long as there is a seat at the table for us, you know. It is a – it's a larger debate that I probably need to have on the podcast as well and, and, and ha- have a little bit more of an exploration around different marine management processes. And, and I want to have that conversation – but I think we're, we're, we're sort of we're, – we're getting sidetracked into it, and I didn't mean to do that um, – but it, but it becomes part of the conversation because we're all about thinking sustainably. So we're going to talk about these big ticket items. It's natural. But um, go just moving back into to noobs, particularly, um, what are some of the other spot burning no nos that you see? Particularly noobs do with uh, with 
with with burning spots. So I think your uh, your point about posting on forums is a really good one. Um, I was certainly guilty of that as a newer diver. Um, fortunately, mostly with spots that were no secret to anybody, um, you know. But it I kind of caught on over time, you know, asking questions on forums, and I'd get responses, private messages from divers who've been in the game 20, 30 years. Um, who wouldn't, you know, bat an eye at my question on the public thread, but would happily send me information, private messages. Um, and sometimes that was just, you know, look for these features on Bing Maps or Google Maps, and you'll find a spot. And of course, there's only one spot that fits those features. And sometimes it was more specific, sometimes it was less specific. Just to, just to interrupt you for a sec, I'm getting a lot of background noise. Is that from you, Andrew? I don't think it's from me, but I'm hearing it also. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's my dog. but yeah so i I think kind of knowing when to speak publicly versus when to speak privately i think one thing that's really been great for me to learn is that the spearfishing community is generally very open people are happy to share they want to see people engaged in the sport they want to see people having a good time and being successful um if you go to a club you hang out with people you get to know people that's where that information is best conveyed it's not you know just kind of posted online for the world to see. That's a good point. Yeah, but people don't think about the internet as having, like, but it's it's the reason this podcast is growing. It's because the internet is able to scale these bigger conversations so that more people see them. And social media does that in general. That's why I think it's a good cautionary note is not to talk specifically about spearfishing spots. I don't even share the commonly known ones anymore. I've made the mistake of doing it and, I, you know, I, of course, I think that's how we learn. But then private messages, um, they do a lot, when it's, especially when it comes from a respected person in your community and they send you a private message and they say, hey, man, like, I think you're doing the right thing, but, you know, bang, 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 it's like, so there's a real, real nice way to um, influence people. It, it's time taking and it doesn't scale, but um, yeah. Have you guys seen a journey beneath yet? If you haven't, go to noobspero.com forward slash AJB. It's narrated by yours truly and filmed in a, in a ton of just awesome destinations. There's big fish, great stories. Friendship's a huge uh, theme of, the, of this documentary. It's about 45 minutes long. It's available on Vimeo On Demand right now. Go to noobspero.com forward slash AJB. It'll redirect you there. Check out the trailer and see if you want to watch it. I absolutely loved it. I was obviously part of the project, so I'm biased. Noobspirit.com forward slash AJB. Check it out. Lobster bags, cray loops, gauges, accessories made by Spiros for Spiros. Check it out at oldmanblue.com.au. Equipment made to last. Handmade spear guns from the USA. Killshotspearguns.com have made rugged, functional, simple spear guns utilizing the best components. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Save $30 on any timber spear gun. Use the code NOOB. Visit killshotspearguns.com. What about metadata on photos and stuff? Is this like at the risk of like educating people about how to steal spots, I guess we've got to talk about some of the nefarious ways in which people um, steal spots. So we've talked about like obviously having obvious backgrounds on photos. We've talked about having asking specifically about spots and, and text. Um, metadata is another one that I'm kind of aware of. Are you guys aware of this as well? Uh, yeah. Um, I think 
there, there's a point where, uh, you know, and this is completely just a personal view point, but uh, I, I think for me, there's a point where, you know, something like metadata, if, if somebody's going to go to the great lengths to, you know, figure out where a photo that you have was taken by looking at metadata, um, they, you know, they deserve that spot. I mean, I'm not, I'm not it, it, I think that, and, and the amount of people, you know, when we're talking about a posting on a forum where there's, you know, a thousand people looking at it and it's basically going out to whoever, um, or, or, you know, one or two people out of that thousand people that have the knowledge and the know-how and, and the will to actually go and look at the metadata on a photo and, 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 uh, um, you know, follow through and go to that spot. Um, to me, I don't see it personally as a threat. Now, I might be totally wrong about that, but, uh, um, I know some people still get bad out of shape about stuff like that, but, um, but to me, I, I don't think it's worth getting worried, too worried about. Yeah, I pretty much agree with Charlie on that front. I think once you get into picking apart metadata, it's kind of similar to, you know, there, there are degrees to what constitutes an obvious background, right? Like if you take a photo in front of a street sign, right, in front of a landmark that's very clearly identifiable, um, you know, that that's a background anybody can pick apart. I have seen divers get really bent out of shape where you take a picture in front of what looks like a blank rock wall, except there's a crack that runs along it in a very particular way, right? Um, and yeah, that's obvious to you because you dive there every friggin' weekend. It's not gonna be obvious to Joe Blow on the internet who's trying to figure out where you are from Google Earth, right? So as guys get more experienced, their particular code of ethics around spots gets very, very <laughs> nuanced. Absolutely. Like, I've been told off by friends for having a phone conversation with another mate the day after their fishing trip. And, and he was like, and we, we always just chat about, Oh, how, how was how was your trip? And I'm, you know, Oh, we, you know, it was good. We were on, you know, this, we we're in this area here. And I've been with that guy there, you know, like 10 times. And, and, and I was like, yeah, these fish here were there. And I've got a couple of these. And then, you know, and then the next day I get, you know, like a message, Hey man, what did you tell them about this? And it's like, well, you know, like where do you draw the line? It's like because I think people get more and more strict about their interpretation of spot burning the longer they go spearfishing for Right, which is really funny because I feel like so many fisheries, like I know the white sea bass fishery in Southern California is this way, right, where so much of your success is knowing when the fish are in and where they're at. And so much of that knowledge is passed from diver to diver and captain to captain. And, you know, it's all kind of within your network and – uh where, where do you draw that line, right? Like, where does your network end, your friend's network end? Um, With metadata, just so people are aware, like when you take um, a, an image with particularly a smartphone or even the GoPros these days, if they have an internet connection, the GPS data to the, the coordinates for latitude and longitude can be recorded in the, the sort of the background data of that image file and there are ways to pull that image, that the data out. So one way around it is to put your phone or or your device into um, like airplane mode or whatever, and that should that's supposedly supposed to uh, remove it. Uh, I haven't played around with it a lot either because it's like how how far do you go to to draw the draw the scent off if you like from the spot? But yeah, another interesting point is Andrew mentioned the white sea bass. Um, 
Um, again, I, I think a lot of what we've been talking about so far sort of ties back into community and uh, um, a lot of the sort of speed bumps that you run into when you talk about spot burning, burning come from the internet, right? And when we're talking about like being in a club or having a group of friends or even, you know, a community of divers, say like in Southern California where everybody's diving white sea bass and they're talking to each other, the captains are talking to each other, you know, that's that's a physical community, right? That's people that are sharing information or sharing, uh, sharing with each other versus going on the internet onto a forum, uh, or, or a Facebook group or something, which is a much, much broader, or, you know, may still be a community, but it's so much, much broader and there's so much less control. And I think that, uh, sharing from person to person, um, you can ensure like the ethic that you have is protected sort of because you, you know, you're going spear fishing with your buddy. Odds are your buddy is going to have a, a similar ethic, not always, but a similar ethic to you versus if you are sharing something on a Facebook group, the people that, that read that or see it uh, may not have the same ethic as you. And they may be totally okay with, with, you know, sharing that spot with a whole bunch of other people or going and, and shooting up the reef and taking all the, the you know, reef fish or, or whatever. So that's a good, simple bias. I think to, to have over how you communicate about spots, it's like person to person's fine, but any sort of communication that scales like anything internet based, probably just keep it to yourself. Um, I, I also agree with Andrew earlier, you made a point about your own spots versus spots that you've learned from other people, um, require a much higher level of diligence. Like I, because if, you know, like if you share your spot with me, Andrew, and then I share it with Tom and Scott, and then Tom goes out and he shares it with two other people and Scott goes out and shares it with two other people, all of a sudden we've got a pyramid scheme for that spot and uh, and that spot's no longer the same spot it was, you know. So, um, But if it's my spot and I share it with you, I, I guess that's different. I guess maybe that's another angle or another sort of way people could think about that right. as well. And uh, on that point, uh, one thing that I do if someone takes me to a new spot that I've never been to before Um because I, I I just don't dive alone as a rule um, for safety reasons, and uh, so if someone takes me to one of their spots, one of the things I ask when we leave is like, "Are you cool with me bringing another dive buddy here?" Right? And if the answer is yes, then cool, I get to come back and dive it, and I'll be selective about who I ask to come dive it with. If the answer is no, then I'm just going to dive it with you, you know. And I think building on a point that uh, Charlie made. And Isaac, stop me if this is too much of a tangent, but I think that it's really important to touch on this community topic because I think part of the reason spot burning can be so contentious in the other direction is because it does like the knowledge of spots is a really high barrier to entry for a lot of people, right? Especially if you didn't grow up around the fishing and spear fishing community, you don't necessarily have the tools to find the spots to even get started. Um, and I think that's why people, especially newer divers, tend to be inclined to share spots with others is because it really gives people a leg up when they're learning the sport. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do with Fin and Forage is kind of give people the tools they need to navigate this area and find the spots they need, want to find and get in the water safely and really build the skills that they could develop if they had friends in the sport, if they had family in the sport, um, but that they might not have access to otherwise. It's a good point. 
Um, it, it ties back into a lot of advice. I, I think one of my very first episodes was Simon Tripp, and he gives us gave this advice, and I give it to others as well. And it's you know find a, a, a local spearfishing retailer, and don't be so price sensitive, particularly when you're starting out. You know, spend the extra $20 to shop in a local store instead of buying online. Build a relationship with those people because that that that's a good touch point in your community. And, and on top of that, layer it into joining a local spearfishing club. I understand sometimes spearfishing clubs seem to have different focuses and then some of them are less, you know, new Spiro friendly and some of them are a bit more competitive focused or whatever. But get in there because the, the clubs stay alive from the new membership. And the new members um, help the older um, divers, the more experienced, maybe competitive type people, stay a bit more grounded. You know, like, what are we here for? We're here to have fun. It's not about points or whatever, but I agree with you. Like, the, the local communities is where these conversations happen, and, and that's where you can also learn a lot of the ethics because ethics seem to be quite, um, like, geographically constrained as well. Like, you know, the way you guys treat and deal with white sea bass, we don't have a white sea, sea bass fishery here. I've got no idea. So I would need to learn that and come into your community to learn how you guys, you know, do that and do it well because it, it can be a vulnerable fishery too by the sounds of it. Yeah, those are all excellent points. Um, I, I think it's, it's, really, uh, it's really important to understand. I mean, I, I totally – get the impulse. Uh, I mean, I did it when I was a newer diver, I get the impulse to want to go out and have success, you know, want to have that instant gratification. Um, you know, you're getting into a new sport. You want to, uh, find good places to dive. You want to get good fish. You want to show everybody else in the community that, that you're successful and that you're, and you know, you're got, you got some, some big fish that you're shooting or whatever, you know, and, and I think a lot, you're competent, you're competent. Exactly. Well, because honestly, like that's it. when you're new, it shouldn't be that way. But a lot of times that's how you get dive buddies and stuff. Like, 100%. like yeah. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, part of that is learning spots and, and learning where to dive. And I, I think it can't be understated how much tremendous value there is in learning that stuff on your own or going through a club, going through a community and, and making friends and uh, just, just going the slow road. Uh, you know, there's no rush for any of this stuff. I think it's so easy to get caught up in like this new age sort of like social media sense that, you know, because Joe Schmo is over here, you know, shooting giant groupers or whatever that like, I have to be doing that too. When I just got into the sport, like that's just not true. And that's not how it works, unfortunately. Um, so I, I, I think that one of the biggest things is for me at, as a learner in spearfishing and in fly fishing, um, you know, somebody that, that I consider myself constantly learning still all of the lessons that I've taken from the, the point when I began and all like the failures that I had and the times that I, you know, went somewhere that didn't pan out and like, I didn't see any fish or, or didn't, didn't get anything or, or just dove around in muck or what, whatever it was like, like I learned something from that. And, you know, to think that you're going to shortcut that, like you're just shortcutting yourself, you know, like that's, that's one of the biggest things. Yeah. It's kind of like training Pokemon. You know, like you can take them through all the stages. You can give them that stupid little stone that makes them evolve right away. Right. But then they're going to be missing all those kind of foundational elements of that experience that makes them good at what they do down the road. Um, do you think 
while we're on the topic of searching out dive clubs and stuff, if you don't have a dive club in your community or if you don't have one that you feel is welcoming, uh, try to go on a charter. You know, have a captain show you what to do. And that's a really good way to have success early, get a taste for what it's like, get a sense of what it is you're looking for with someone whose whole purpose that day is to instruct you. I I like your analogy there with the Pokemon thing. Like, you know, like (laughs) Charlie was just talking about the honest side of spearfishing, which is the half dozen times where you go maybe with another person who's as equally unskilled as you are and you're flat out (laughs) staying safe and the water's filthy you catch nothing, but you have an absolute ball and you learn a bit. Like you you go, you know, even if it's just the way you carry your gear down to where you jump in or you find a cool new entry spot, you know, and a cool new exit spot, that though, that information is like it's hard knocks but it's lessons learned and like, you know, two months later you might pull a really special fish out of that area because you did those dives and persevered in the poor conditions. And I, I agree with you. I, li- I like your analogy. I think – I think it's I think it's 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 not a part of the story that's told. We just see the the Instagram posts and we go, Oh wow. You know, but I like I like more of the, the journey. I, I talk to old experienced Spiros too all the time and that and the thing they froth on is like watching newcomers share the froth and the stoke and the passion because you know, you can only do those things once and you know, the level of reward is commensurate with the level of effort sometimes. If you don't earn it, like it's just, it's not worth as much, you know. It's just a, oh, sweet, I got 150 likes on Instagram or some shit. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's just, yeah, yeah like no, no one sees the 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 stripes, the the hard knocks. And I think that's part of the spearfishing journey. Like um, you guys deal with um, big swell and, um, and dirty water a lot as well. And I'm sure all yeah. your fish aren't. You know, like trophies or or what's perceived as trophies. Yeah, and that that's that's a really good point because I definitely I don't know when I was a new diver, I went out and I bought a hundred and twenty centimeter gun because I saw all these big fish getting shot on Instagram and I was like, I'm gonna go shoot a big fish on vacation. Of course, I never went and shot a big fish on vacation. I can't see a hundred and twenty centimeters in the water that we dive in most of the time. Um, <laughs> there was no point for me having that. Um, I would have been better spent. My time would have been better spent just getting in the water. You know, um, I think the point that you mentioned about like rough swell and entries and stuff, I think is another, I mean, it's a little tangential to, you know, spot burning in the sense of blowing a spot up. But um, one issue that we run into around here is, you know, there are some really tricky entries and exits at some of the spots people dive and, you know, if you inadvertently send a whole bunch of green divers down, right, to go get their ass kicked, that can be a problem. You know, people can get in over their heads really, really quickly up here. And so kind of being conscious of like how you're portraying the experience is really key. Yeah. Too. Hey, Shrek, Jeremy here, man. I'm back. Just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to say thank you for your uh, continued support from the Noob Sparrow listeners, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick ass and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the next edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think. What would the outcome of that be? 
Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of, I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's, it's not even that hard. I can only imagine, I'm, I'm thinking like, like I'd really love to get over and dive California. Like the Cal Forest, like there's some real awesome stuff there and I I don't mind cold, dirty water. I find spearfishing fun wherever I go, honestly. Like it's about the energy and people and being in the water. All I like all of it. But I can imagine like with, with new people in your area, probably some of the more sheltered coves and stuff like that, they sort of play that role as a nursery for smaller species and the juveniles and things like that. And the more experienced Spiros uh, possibly aren't going to those spots. They they're going to the more exposed, remote locations with a big swell, and it's it's a bit more sketchy getting in and out. So there's almost like some natural barriers to entry there. Is that is that am I accurate there? Or yeah, for the most part, I think um, have a hard time discerning amongst my friends like how much of that drive to go push into sketchier areas, harder to access areas is for fish versus how much of it's just to get your own little slice of the coast for the day. But um, I, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head that a lot of those more sheltered coves tend to attract a lot of newer divers and the more experienced divers tend to push their way out. Yeah. And, and you can't rush that either. You know, those, those um, days spent in those sheltered things, like even just, you know, duck diving technique, like how to use a torch in a hole, I think is probably a big skill and, you know, just positioning your gun so you don't shoot yourself or your buddy. <laughs> like these are all like things that you assume is like the basic knowledge, but there's no license for this shit. Like you're not, well, I don't know, is right. there a li- license in your area? That That's still not, even if there was, they're not teaching you about all these little micro points that you have to learn the hard way. Right. And there's, you know, like how do you crawl out of the water with, you know, 80 centimeter fins on and a gun and a knife, right? Like, that's dangerous. It's even more dangerous when that crawling out of the water is right in a five foot swell up onto a rock so that you can get out. Um, I've noticed you've used metric a lot in this conversation, Andrew. Are you really respecting the international uh, <laughs> level of this audience? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done. Well done. Hey, I want to play a quick voicemail uh, from uh, Old Man Blue, who had some strong opinions about this, and he wanted to play a part in this conversation. I want you guys to have a listen with me, and then we can chat about it. And then I want to kind of wrap this up with maybe some broad code of conduct type values that I think we could instill and particularly newer Spiros, and we could have maybe some thinking points for some of the more experienced Spiros. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Yeah. G'day, guys. Bird from Old Man Blue here. Isaac, once again, good topic. Um, guys, thanks for covering the spot burning topic. We all feel very strongly about it. It's old divers. Um, yeah, where do I start? I think I call it my sacred grounds. We all have been there. You take the young guy out. It's very keen. Show him all your good spots because you're excited by you know, how he's growing or she's growing. And then five, six years down the track, they're taking a whole new crew to your spots, which they then feel by those years of diving it has become theirs. It's a funny debate, that one. Is it theirs or is it the skipper that took them there in the first place? Um, 
before I start talking about myself, I gave Barry a call, Barry Paxman, and um, we had a quick chat about this. And one of the things that came up with him was that he said, I don't take anybody new or strangers out to my spots because once they've dived, there's nothing left and they don't do the sustainable. They just kill every last thing and I'm just not going to go there. I also phoned a friend of mine, Ben Rushworth, and um, had a similar conversation and he goes, the short end of it is he's got his personal crew he dives with and he trusts with his spots. And when he can't dive with them, he'll rather sit at home than burn his spot. Um, and I have to agree with both those guys, both old-timers, both have been through the years and see the reality of what happens when you take a new guy out. He disrespects the whole equation and takes out all his friends, which then took their friends out. Now, going back to the sacred spots, we all have seen those spots finded by accidents, by skill, by years of diving, full of life, and it's like magic. There's all these fish, diver time and again, take a few fish off it, but always leave the equation in a good positive manner. And then suddenly when there's a crowd, there's no more fish and there's a dead ground. Why go there? Why do it? I don't understand it. It's madness, but it happens. In the old days, you had to learn how to read the chart, dive skills, 20, 30 years of experience, and you become a good diver. These days, you do a free diving course, gear, go out with some experienced divers, and within a year, you've done it all. I question this. I, I don't know. Maybe have, have any passion or wrong, something wrong with this equation. Good luck, guys. I hope in your discussion today that you get some answers on this really hard topic. A good one. A good one. Thanks, guys. Happy hunting to all of you. And do it wisely, respectfully. Thanks, guys. Bye. So obviously, you know, uh, a guy who's spent a lot of time in the water and it sounds like him and a few of his mates have been burned a bit. We're talking about spot burning, but also just, um, you know, I guess it's ugly. It's ugly to see, particularly if you've if you've been diving in a, a particular area for 10 years and then all of a sudden you introduce it to a couple of people and then they introduce it to a couple of people, that spot's no longer what it was. I mean, it would, it would start to influence the way you, you know, introduce people to the area, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess kind of on that note, you know, I think I think a lot of the way the spot burning discussion kind of develops is like a binary, do you share, do you not share? Um, which creates this whole mess of problems with barriers to entry to the sport, being pitted against the sustainability of the sport. And I think uh, one of the things we've tried to do locally, I know I do it when I take new divers out. Eric does it when he takes new divers out, right? Is it's no secret where the beginner friendly spots are, right? Um, like you said earlier, right? We've got a lot of like little shallow protected coves. Um, they get floods of scuba divers on the weekend. They're right in town. You go to a dive shop, you buy a spear gun, you ask them where to go. That's where they're going to point you, right? Um, so when we take new divers out and we're getting them into the sport, we take them to those spots, right? Um, that get that beginner action all the time anyways. As people progress and become better divers, you know, what like one of the things we try to do with Fin and Forage is obviously give you the tools, right? Tell you what it is you're looking for. What like how, how do you find a good spot on your own? And as people progress and develop that ethic you know, then I'll take them to one of my better spots. And it kind of short circuits some of that problem that Old Man Blue was identifying of getting your best get best spots blown out right out the gate. Yeah, yeah. 
it's an unfortunate and sad reality. And I think um, sometimes if you inadvertently do the wrong thing and then you realise later, that's kind of how you learn. And um, it's a, it's like a lot of things in life, you know, like common sense is developed by making, you know, a lot of mishaps and then hopefully you just do it gently enough that you don't piss off too many people and you and you, you adapt and learn and overcome and, and um, yeah, but it, like I said earlier, like I think the, the longer you spare, the more nuanced your beliefs go. But let, let's talk about specifically for noobs here and, Charlie, I'd love for you to chime in. What do you think are some good rules of thumb for people in their first two to three years with regards to um, not giving up spots, protecting spots and doing the right things by the people that take them out? I think, uh, you know, one of the best things that you can do is meet people in person uh, and it, whether that's joining a club, you know, maybe using a Facebook group, but to, but just to get some buddies, you know, instead of going on there and saying, hey, where's the best spot that I can go dive today? Um, say, hey, who who has Saturday free? Let's let's go dive, you know, um, make friends physically <laughs> and go and go out with them because, Doing doing it in person with people, I think you're you're bound to get the ethic that we are talking so much about from those people versus uh, you know trying to learn on your own from the internet. So we talked um, specifically about getting getting in person. You guys mentioned physical events. You can do that in uh, your local spearfishing retailer. Your local spearfishing clubs run um, generally. They'll run social comps. That's a great place to meet people. Finn and Forage ran that fantastic catch and cook comp before pre-COVID, and you guys released a fantastic um, cookbook uh, that I actually have on my shelf. Um, that can be fantastic, and um, not only do you learn skills, but you build a network. These things are really powerful. A lot of spearfishing shops are now running um, educational nights. Um, I know the SoCal Dive Babe do things like that. Um, there's some really great community organisations getting up in the spearfishing world. These are fantastic things. To, even if you're a bit shy and introverted, just go and do it because um, you're going to make friends and that's how you're going to start overcoming some of these. What else? Uh, photos. What do you think with photos? What's a good rule of thumb, Andrew? Just don't be super obvious. You know, like you use common sense. Don't photograph yourself in front of a coffee shop. Don't photograph yourself in front of a street sign. Um you know, if you're in a parking lot, if your background's something that you would have to be physically in that location to identify, my personal rule is not to worry about it. If you've got a very identifiable background, if you're in a super heavy, heavily populated area with a lot of divers, consider photoshopping your background lately. Um, I know a lot of guys here, especially in Southern California, will Photoshop the entire background. Um, Eric's been known to do that on Half Dome. Um, <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. I I personally am of the opinion that it's uh, unnecessary, you know, just find a less obvious spot to take your photo in the first place. But, um, and, you know, part of it's just try, but be realistic about it. You know, I remember hearing a story, I think it was Tank said shot a really nice white sea bass on a shore dive a couple of years ago and had some tourists come up shocked that he had such a big fish in their neighborhood and wanted to take photos. And he very politely asked them, like, don't, you know, don't spread this so widely. And that's all you can really do. Yeah. Yeah. It's culturally uh, it's something that happens though. People, even people that don't fish, love to have their photo taken with a big fish. It's like, uh, 
you know, like I remember I've taken out new guys before and you might shoot a really big fish or something and they go and they ask, you know, would you mind if I have a photo with your fish? And it's, you know, like I don't care. Like I'm just like, sweet, I'm just stoked you've had an awesome day. By all means do so. But it's just, yeah, like you've got to kind of inform, like just do it over here. The background's not going to give the spot away. It's a great place, just a small talking point and a teaching point so people learn ethics from the from the get-go. It's a massive thing. Um, yeah, dropping in a false background so people can't um, pick up on the landmarks because sometimes the photo will be taken and you don't realise it until later when you're looking through your phone or whatever and you go, oh, that gives that away, you know. Just drop in a false background and then you've still got a photo you can you can post up for people to see. Charlie, what else have we missed here? Anything else for, for you guys to think about particularly? So we've said um, get into physical events, don't post stuff on social media specifically about um, spots and with the photos we've, we've mentioned that. Anything, anything else that you guys need to be aware of? Uh, I think tying into Old Man Blue's question, um, a couple things, and Andrew mentioned this too right in the beginning, um, you know, if somebody goes out of their way to show you something that's really special to them, um, consider that a gift and, and um, you know, do your best to protect it. And, and um, you know, even, uh, you know, that, it, it, that might not mean, uh, you know, forever, never show anyone else that spot, but uh, make sure that the people that you're showing has the same ethics that you do, you know, which actually brings up a second point uh, is learn your, learn your ethics and learn them early. You know, uh, before you're going out and shooting fish, you should understand what the impact that you have is, um, on the environment and on this, the fishery that, that you're targeting. Um, and if you don't, then you don't really have, in my opinion, too much business doing it. So <laughs> uh, I was going to say part of learning that ethic too, is just learning how to be, a good and reliable dive partner, right? Kind of the same as like learning the ethics of how to be on someone else's boat. Um, yeah. You know, offer to pay for gas, show up with food. Um, and if someone takes you to their sweet spot, for me, it doesn't matter how public it seems. Like if they take me there, I ask if I can bring someone else um, or if they would prefer to just keep it between us. There's nefarious practices that people do out on boats too. We won't get too much um, carried away with it today, but, you know, line, line fishing forums are full of hatred about people that come in and do the wrong thing. I mean, at the end of the day, don't just don't be a dick, you know. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. It's just it's not rocket science. But um, sometimes you're inadvertently doing things that are – I'm going to give you a bad reputation. That's partly why I wanted to have this um, this conversation with you guys. So I loved your article. I love Fin and Forage. People can find all of that today. The show notes will be at noobspirit.com forward slash spot burning, and I'll link up the article that I originally saw on Fin and Forage. But um, fantastic, fellas. I don't know if we've missed anything today, but um, really good getting to connect with you guys. And um, I hope you, I know Eric's um, already dumped a whole bunch of recipes in for 99 Spirit Recipes. I'm not sure if any of your guys are cooking has made it into it, but um, it's it's awesome um, collaborating with you guys and, and doing more stuff. I'm really enjoying it. Excellent, man. I really appreciate being on the uh, show here. Yeah, it's been great meeting you. Awesome. What did you think of that episode, guys? Charlie and Andrew from Fit and Forage, what a pair of gentlemen. It was a fantastic getting those guys on. We're going to do more uh, with some of the people in that community. They're doing some good things. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's uh, conversation and it was pop 
possibly thought-provoking. Um, I know everyone's got strong opinions on this, and some people just, it's an awareness issue. And uh, if you've learned something today or if you've got something you want to add to the conversation, I would encourage you to do so on the Noob Spiro community on Facebook. Uh, it's a vibrant community, more than 3,000 legends on there. There's a great culture. People are always sharing the stoke. There's a weekly YouTube video thread, and... Uh, it's a cool place to come and ask those questions you don't want to ask anywhere else on social media, particularly because you can get eaten alive. Um, but it's a good place to ask those silly questions that you're just not sure about. New Spirit community on Facebook. But get involved in the spot burning conversation on there. I'd love to have a robust conversation about it. And uh, if you heard something you didn't agree with, something you did agree with, something you thought wasn't explained a bit, uh, enough today, I'd love it if you got involved. New Spirit community on Facebook. Check it out. Hey, if you love the show, Jump on patreon.com forward slash noobspiro. Support the show on an episode-by-episode episode basis. It um, it really helps me to get out and go spearfishing. When this COVID stuff um, opens up a bit more, hopefully I'm going to start getting around a bit more, coming to your part of the world, spearing with you, l- listen, uh, interviewing local legends and sharing them all here right back on the Noobspiro podcast. As for me, I'm out for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Come back in a week's time. We've got the Coatsman talking about spear gun accurizing. This is kind of airproofing. We talk about shooting styles. We talk about how to miss less fish and uh, avoid those frustrating situations. Boom, I'm out. Today's new Spiro podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. For your next piece of spearfishing equipment, head to adreno.com.au. Enjoy flat rate shipping Australia-wide. There's a huge range of gear, and you can save $20 on every purchase over $200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Better yet, Drop into their Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne or Perth megastores. There's another one on the way, by the way. Use the code NoobSpiro to save in-store or online at adreno.com.au. Boom. Today's NoobSpiro podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. For US divers, Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all of your spearfishing essentials. They've got free shipping on Every order over $99. Now you can use the Noob10 code to save 10% off anything and everything store-wide. 10% off store-wide. Use the code NOOB10 at neptonics.com. Boom. Boom.